Hello, everyone. My name is Dave Horowitz, and I'm a technical marketing engineer for the Procurve networking business. With me today is Paul Weidman, the lab program manager for the Series 4200 VL switches. I have one administrative detail to mention before we start for the HP certified professional folks in the audience. If you're attending today's training to achieve points toward your annual point requirement, please check the FTP site where the training materials are located and download the one-page document named webinar-points.pdf, which explains how to step through the process. Also, I'll let you know this talk has been running approximately one and a quarter hours. Today's presentation begins with marketing information about the new line of switches and covers the differences and features between the 4200VL and its predecessor, the 4100GL. Then we cover support information, including changes to software from the 4100GL, the multiple spanning tree implementation, and troubleshooting tips and hints. Let's begin with a look at where the Series 4200VL switches fit in the Procurve chassis family. And they fit down near the bottom. These are uh, entry-level chassis. Uh, they are considered the traditional edge devices. They're for the customer who's price-sensitive with basic needs, some future configuration changes in mind, and we're competing against stackables. This is a flexible alternative to stackables. We're going with ease of use, uh, flexible deployment, standards-based. Even though this is an entry-level chassis, it is loaded with features, just as the 4100GL is. But it's quite beefed up compared to the 4100, with faster CPU, 330 megahertz instead of 200, double the memory, three times the flash size, more than double the switch fabric speed, and additional features. The Series 4200VL switches are the evolutionary path from the Series 4100GL switches. We have a lot of marketing information here, and I do want to point out that in the speaker notes of the slide set is a lot of uh, useful information, valuable for, uh, in this case, the marketing section. Here's a picture of the four chassis, and something new up here at the top, the first two chassis, have a hybrid setup with fixed ports as well as slots. Then we have the traditional four-slot and eight-slot chassis into which you install modules. The modules... Ah, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead of myself here, but when we look at the uh, gigabit switches, we have, again, the hybrid chassis that's three rack units high. We also sell a bundle, which is the eight-slot chassis with four modules pre-installed. And if you take a look at the picture, you can see that the hybrid chassis has fit three of the modules in the space of what would otherwise have been two slots, giving a much increased port density on that model. Off to the right, um, I continue to call these marketing details. Uh, sometimes these numbers baffle me a little bit. For example, on the Dash 64G, the uh, preloaded chassis, the bundle, uh, these numbers consider that four of the slots are already occupied, and so when they tell you how many maximum 10-100 ports you can put, they're considering in addition to the four slots that are already occupied. Uh, the numbers are, all make good sense, but it, it took me a little looking at to see. Here we have the 10-100 hybrid chassis and bundle. Once again, the bundle is the eight-slot chassis with four of the modules pre-installed, and again, I hope you can see from the picture that the the hybrid, the 4202 BL-72, accomplishes those 72 10100 ports by placing three modules, fitting three modules in the space where two slots would have been. Now we can look at the modules, four basic reliable modules, the Mini GVIC, the Gigabit Copper, the 10100, and the 100FX, which we hear from our customers and our field and our salespeople, very, very important to maintain 100FX. We have lots and lots of customers still using it heavily. There's no picture of the redundant power supply, but it is the exact same power supply used in the 4100GL and the 5300XL chassis. This is the same size and shape chassis and therefore takes the identical power supply, but this device only takes the VL modules. What I have next are pictures right out of the manual showing the usage mod models here. Again, basic needs, basic connectivity. Really, this is just showing that you hook up all your devices to it at 10, 100, or 1,000, 
and you can use twisted pair or straight-through cables for every connection, whether it be a switch-to-switch -switch connection or to an end node, because all ports have the auto MDI-X feature, either the HP version on the 10100 ports or the IEEE version on the gigabit ports, and those two operate exactly the same. When we talk about legacy connectivity, we really mean 100FX. So once again, uh, providing 100FX for all the customers who still use those links all over particularly large campuses with uh, less, uh, no, no single mode perhaps, long distances that you can cover with 100FX. And the final usage model is just what we're intended to be, an edge switch. We can connect to a core router uh, with trunks to provide redundancy. There's nothing too dramatic here. These are exactly what they're designed to be, a traditional edge device, uh, price-sensitive customer. I know I've said all that before. But the feature set is where we really get good, loaded with features. So I've grouped these uh, just for convenience. They're in no particular order, different ways to get into the system. Uh, the ease of use, I, I really should have put the TIME-P and SNTP down in the troubleshooting section because they're more applicable to troubleshooting, those show up in the event log, and so when you're trying to figure out when something happened, whatever time the switch thought it was is, is very, very useful information. This switch provides S-Flow, also known as HPEs or extended ARMON, and that's a, a huge uh, additional feature that the 4100GL does not have uh, because the 4200 is based on Procurve-developed ASICs, which give us this sort of additional functionality. What I've done in highlighting here is pointed out features that do not exist on the 4100 and are on the 4200, and LLDP-MED, the Media Endpoint Discovery, is a new feature on the 4200. A lot of things, the multiple configuration files, uh, additional features, but trunks is very big. It, the 4100 has six trunks with four ports each. Now we have 36 trunks, eight ports maximum per trunk, and the Broadcast throttling per device is also new. Four queues for quality of service instead of three queues. Additional features, VLAN support is really beefed up, 256 versus the 30 that are available on the 4100. And one of my beta sites proudly told me, yes, I just configured 256 VLANs to prove that it works, and it worked beautifully. So <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, we have a couple of additional routing features not available in the 4100. And this is something new. We now have multiple spanning tree protocol. We say backward compatible, and I prefer the word interoperable with the older STP 802.1D and the rapid spanning tree protocol RSTP 802.1W. And we have a page full of security features highlighted here. Uh, eavesdrop protection, the new things on this switch, radius authorization for the manager. And the bottom two are very important. We always recommend we want to have physical security for the switches, but it's not always possible. And in those cases where you're forced to share a wiring closet with a janitor closet, uh, these bottom features allow you to protect the switch from somebody who can physically touch it uh, so that they still could not get in. Of course, they could unplug it. That's a different issue. But physical security is so important. And Without that, we try to give what we can. Some very important additional features in troubleshooting, and this egress port mirroring is key. That was a, a real limitation on the 4100GL, um, again, due to the chipset. With the 4200BL, we have that, as well as data-driven IGMP, where the switch learns an IP multicast stream and doesn't forward it anywhere until it hears a join for that stream. And the feature comparison here is all those items that either exist or are different on the 4200 compared to the 4100 GL. Again, because the 4200, I think I said GL, because the 4200 VL switches are based on Procurve-developed ASICs, they have capabilities that just aren't available on the Series 4100 GL, uh, data-driven IGMP and uh, Ease or S-Flow extended Armon are, are great examples of that. Well, that is the marketing information section. And at this point, are there any questions? If you'd like to request an open line from the operator, press star 1. Once again, I would like to remind everyone, if you would like to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone keypad. There are no questions at this time. 
okay, well, we will move into the support information. One of the things I feel very important about these training sessions is the takeaway. I want you to take away the slide set because I know these are referred to for months and even years after the new product introduction. And as such, I try to provide a, kind of a mini table of contents up here so you can find the information later on. I'll start with a picture again of the four different chassis with the official product names, uh, the part number, and a description of each. You can see three of them are the three rack units high, and the 4208 is the five rack units high model. And these slots only work with VL modules. Now, the XL modules and the GL modules will slide in. They won't fry. They won't break in or bend any pins, but they won't operate. You do need the VL modules to operate in the 4200 VL chassis. The modules, once again, the four styles with the official product name and part number and description. And the upper left module, the mini Jeebic module, um, only accepts model B or greater mini Jeebic. So that would be a part number J4858B, for example, J8177B, ending in a B. And what's different about the Model B Mini Jeebix is they include the Procurve anti-counterfeiting algorithm. And I want to point out that during the transition from the Model A's to the Model B's, they began rolling in the anti-counterfeiting algorithm a little bit before they began numbering them with a B, J8158B, uh, for example. So it is, I want you to be aware, it is possible for a customer to have a version A Mini Jeebix that works in a Procurve product that only supports Revision B Mini Jeebix, and that the only way that could possibly happen is if that version A Mini Jeebix does indeed include the anti-counterfeiting algorithm. Now, we don't want customers going out and trying every one of their version A's to see if any of them fit. It's, it's a much cleaner solution to simply use Revision B Mini Jeebix or, or later if we come out with a C or whatever. Um, but I want you to be aware if you have a customer someday who calls up and says that, yeah, I'm running this J4859A in my 4200 VL module, it is completely possible, and you shouldn't deny him support on that. I don't want to make too big a deal of it, but you should all be aware of that. Finally, the redundant power supply, the exact same power supply used in the GL and XL switches. We simply added a slash VL to the end of the name, are right out of the manual, and two different manuals, and in the speaker notes, I've translated the microscopic words at the, uh, the bottom picture, so you can see what they say just part of the installation instructions. Now in software, we have a couple of new defaults. LACP is now disabled by default. I know a lot of people are very, very happy about that. You no longer have to go into the switch and select all the ports and turn off LACP. And the spanning tree is 802.1S. The multiple spanning tree protocol is the default and indeed the only protocol of spanning tree that can be configured on the 4200VL switches. The 4100s have LACP enabled, and their default spanning tree version is Rapid Spanning Tree Protocol. But in both cases, spanning tree is still disabled by default on all of these switches. So you have to configure it and enable it to make it run. Now, down in the speaker notes, I have two other items. Uh, they're not exactly new defaults, but CDP, the Cisco Discovery Protocol, is receive-only. So we have the industry standard link layer data uh, discovery protocol, LLDP, which will listen to and learn CDP information and will also display it when you use the command show LLDP info remote dash device. Finally, there is another change in software that is no support for the Cisco proprietary fast ether channel trunks. So the fast ether channel, FEC, uses a source address, destination address combination to determine which port to send packets down a trunk. So the SADA source address, destination address combination is exactly the same type of trunking used in the HP trunk as an SADA trunk. So the 4200VL's HP trunk can connect to a static FEC trunk. And by the way, it's always been that way. For our products in the past that supported fast ether channel, it was only a static trunk. We never did support the dynamic trunking, the port aggregation protocol, PAGP. So there's really no change to how the Procurve switches interface with FEC other than today you will configure them as an HP trunk and, and the operation is compatible and works well.
we also have some new LED behavior. Um, the first one is really, really important to me. I don't know how many of you have walked into a wiring closet, glanced over at the switch, seen all the lights on solid, and there's that momentary pause of, oh, no, what's wrong with the network, before you realize that someone has left the mode button in the 100 position or in the full duplex position. Uh, this is something I have been fighting for since the day we invented the mode button, that after 10 minutes, it would revert back to the default of activity. And I am thrilled to finally get that in our switch because I have been victimized by finding a switch with the full duplex or 100 uh, left on, and it's a very scary moment there. I have a complete description of LED behavior in the troubleshooting chapter of the two installation guides, both the switch and the modules. One section is called Diagnosing with the LEDs, and the other is LED Error Indicators. But really, it's the exact same table in both manuals. And here's the type change we made, inserting a module that's invalid or unsupported. We'll flash two, two LEDs, the self-test saying that the switch was trying to test out this module. It didn't quite do as expected, and the module LED to show you which module it is. So. If you try to slide a GL or an XL module in, you will have this display. And if in the future a new module is produced for the 4200 VLs and it requires newer software, you would get the same display. I'm trying to bring it up. It's, you know, it's not coming through self-test and it's this module is the problem. The event log will tell you exactly what's going on. Uh, down in the speaker notes, I've given the event log messages for all of these. And What's important is that in the past we flashed the fault LED for this indication, and we don't want to do that. Fault should only be for broken hardware. So we've corrected that here. Similarly, with the mini GVIC that is either invalid or unsupported, we would flash the self-test and the module and the port on that module to let you which, know which one it is, where before we only flashed the port LED. So what we've done is straightened out the LED behavior here. Now, you don't really need the event log. In this top example, if you insert a module and you get the flashing self-test and the module LED, well, you can look. You know it's either invalid or unsupported. You you look at the module. If it's a VL module, it's supported. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> said it backwards. If it's a VL module, it's valid, and therefore it must be something that needs new software. But if you do look in the event log, it will tell you exactly why it didn't uh, come up as expected. The first release of software... L.10.01 has already been superseded by L.10.02, which was available on the web as of March 1st. So the top two items are already fixed. You no longer, with L.10.02, you do not require an IP address for data-driven IGMP to work properly. And there was just a silly event log message that said LACP was on, and of course it wasn't. Uh, that's been removed. The other two items are also display items here. Uh, show span detail uh, shows that every port is disabled, and that's not the case. And in L1002, it's still not yet fixed, but we, we do have that bug fix in, uh, in queue. And finally, this MSTP-only environment. For those of you who are familiar with MSTP, all these words will make a little bit of sense. The important part is that if it shows you the path cost to root is zero, then you're root. And if you show a port that's the direction to get to root, then you're not root, and you can't be both at the same time. So what really should happen there is that the CST, the common spanning tree root path cost, should equal the internal spanning tree. So the CST root path cost is what's the, the error. Again, just a display issue, but we'd certainly like to get that fixed. That is the support information. Do you have any questions on this part? Again, I would like to remind everyone, if you would like to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone keypad. There are no questions at this time. Okay, I think everyone is just really eager to get on to spanning tree protocol, and here we are. The implementation in the 4200VL is multiple spanning tree protocol, MSTP 802.1S. That is the latest version. It is backward compatible or uh, interoperable, I still prefer, with the older two spanning tree protocols. When you have rapid and multiple only, you use the fast convergence algorithm, which of course everyone wants. And when you have a mixture of different uh, protocols running on the network, 
the MSTP switch, when it hears a bridge protocol data unit, a BPDU, from a D device or a W device, it will respond in kind. It will speak that same uh, protocol back out those ports. When you enable multiple spanning tree with its default settings, not configuring any regions, just say span, just turn it on, it will join an existing single spanning tree. It will mate up with it beautifully, and here's what it will look like on the MSTP switch. You're going to get the larger path costs. So if you're running rapid spanning tree, these path costs are exactly the same in multiple spanning tree. The single tree from the perspective of the MSTP switch is called common spanning tree, and that is the active tree, and I'm going to harp on that a lot. That is the tree to look at, the common spanning tree. And here it is again. When it's when multiple is enabled without configuring a multiple spanning tree region, look at the CST information to understand your active tree and ignore the internal spanning tree information. So whenever you turn on multiple spanning tree, the idea is that you're going to configure various instances, instance one, instance two. But before you configure everything, anything at all, um, there in the background is an instance zero known as the IST internal spanning tree. Uh, that information is unimportant when your multiple spanning tree device enabled with default settings joins an older D or W spanning tree. This, I hope, will become a little more clear when we look at the output. Well, we start with multiple, um, and then I'm going to focus more on this case where we just say span and enable with default settings. When we look at multiple spanning tree, why would people use that? Uh, we have the spanning tree root in the upper left-hand corner here, the 4200VL, and I've got a situation where we've got several different wiring closets, VLAN 1, 2, 3, and 4. Each one, let's say, is in a different wiring closet. Each triangle is a different VLAN, and the path between these two top switches has all the VLANs. I'm also making the assumption that either of these 4200VL head switches uh, can lead to other subnets or to whatever resources you want. Now, if your upper left-hand corner of 4200VL is the spanning tree route, then the opposite links will be, will be blocked off on the right, and all the traffic will flow the way the big arrow shows. So what you use multiple spanning tree protocol for is load balancing. You can take your top left switch and use odd-numbered VLANs, the top right switch, and use even-numbered VLANs by configuring each one a route for a different set of VLANs or, in fact, a different instance. That way you break up the traffic, uh, odd-numbered VLANs flow to the left, even-numbered VLANs flow to the right in this example. And what I've given with odd and even, uh, it's an easy way to think about it, but practically when you're going to configure it, it's difficult to uh, say VLAN 1, 3, 5, 7, 9. So configuration-wise, it's much easier if you have a range of VLANs. So perhaps if you have 100 of them, you could say VLANs 1 through 50 go to the left and 51 through 100 go to the right. That would be easy to configure. Um, the problem is when you want the 51st VLAN on the left side, now what do you do? So one idea I had is if you start with the 100s on the left and the 200s on the right, you can easily configure the range, and you take the first digit of your VLAN number. If it's odd, it goes to the left. If it's even, it goes to the right. Just some ideas to, to throw out. But I'm going way off in the weeds on this, so let's take a look at if we do want to configure regions, what happens. You have three parameters that have to be identical on all the switches running in an MST region. The region name, the revision number, and the instance mapping, which instance has which VLANs in it. Now, each VLAN can only be a member of one instance. Of course, you would never want two routes on a given VLAN. And here comes that internal spanning tree again. Any VLANs that are not configured in an instance automatically come up in instance zero, the IST, which always exists. And in fact, as soon as you enable, I said this before, as soon as you enable multiple spanning tree protocol, all VLANs become a members of the IST, whether or not they're explicitly configured on the switch. Within an MST region, the internal spanning tree, I think, has characteristics quite similar to a default VLAN on a switch. The default VLAN 
holds all the untagged ports that aren't defined to be in another VLAN. Similarly, the IST holds all VLANs that aren't configured to be in a specific MST instance. And that's down in the speaker notes because it just seems uh, like a useful analogy to make. Also in the speaker notes, I have a note about if you want to remove a region, uh, you say no span config name. It's, it's pretty much this command with the no in front of it. But if you try to do a no span tree config revision, you get an error message. It doesn't accept the command. And this is something I've complained to the lab, and I've asked them to please allow us to use the no command. The, the only way you can deconfigure a revision number is to set it back to its default value of zero. So you have to say span config revision zero. And uh, the speaker notes point that out as well. So yes, we can configure 16 instances of multiple spanning tree for those who need it. But what about the people who just want to plug this into an existing 802.1D or 802.1W environment? Just say span. Enable multiple spanning tree protocol. It will join the D or W trees. The tree that you get is the common spanning tree. And when you do a show span command, look at the CST uh, details, including root. It tells you everything you need to know, including the root information. When you enable multiple spanning tree with default values, instance zero is configured on each switch automatically, but each switch considers it to be the regional root, so ignore the IST information. And here's the key. When you've enabled multiple spanning tree with default values, look at CST information. That is what you want. Now, you can partially configure multiple spanning tree protocol. You can give it a revision number, a region name, and not put any VLANs into any instances. And if you're going to join a D or W network, there is no benefit to partially configuring MSTP. Just say span, leave everything at the default, and go with it. In fact, if you do partially configure and you put all your switches into their little region with no VLAN mapping at all so that there's still a single spanning tree, your information show span becomes a little bit deceptive because the region considers the distance from root to any switch really to be the distance from root to the region, and every switch will show the same distance to root. So you really don't want to do that if you're connecting this device to a D or W environment. Just say span. Well, what does it look like when we connect to 802.1D and just say span, keep it in its default settings. We see the common spanning tree information with show span, which also gives internal spanning tree information that's meaningless. You're going to have some real unusual looking path costs. If you're used to gigabit link being five, now it's 20,000, but it still adds up perfectly well with all the other costs. And the future command listed here is in the new version of software L.10.02. The command is documented in the release notes. It is span legacy-path-cost. And what it does is it sets all the costs, default costs on all the links to the 802.1D values. And it works beautifully. I tried it out. I was uh, on a network. I had spanning tree enabled. Um, I did show span and I saw the path costs and the path to root cost. And I issued the command, span legacy-path-cost, immediately did a show span command, and on the fly, all the costs had changed, and what used to be something like 20,010 to get to root was now 30, by having uh, uh, three values of 10 in there. It was great. You do have slow reconvergence. If you connect your multiple spanning tree switch to an older 802.1D environment, you should expect slow convergence, of course, because you're going to be running with that. And I have a picture here on the right. We've put the spanning tree root up at the top, a series of 4,000 M's. The spanning tree root is configured with a priority of one to ensure that he's root. Here's his MAC address and the 4,000 M's in the middle are all set up with default settings, just running 802.1D. They have the default link costs. And at the bottom, we connect a 4200BL switch to this with its default cost settings. And on the left, the show span output shows you exactly what you're going to get. 
So at the top we see, yes, we're running MSTP. Now here's your internal spanning tree mapped VLANs. And it's not telling us there's one VLAN mapped. It's saying that is VLAN number one, the default VLAN. I didn't configure anything on the 4200, so of course it always has a default VLAN, VLAN ID equal one. You move down to the CST information, and here's your tree. And all these values add up. The MAC address is indeed the MAC address of the root. The priority of the root is one. Look at the path cost. Looks kind of funny, but this is exactly what you would expect. And the root port is four, as shown in the picture. Now below here is the IST information. You can see that because the path to root is zero, he thinks he's root. And multiple spanning tree has a concept of 20 hops, that uh, in a region you're going to go 20 hops to the end of the region. So you start at 20 and then you decrement, and we still have all 20 hops left. So once again, this IST information really doesn't matter. Here's your tree, the common spanning tree. There's a little bit of additional output here uh, that I didn't put because it is the CST that I want to focus on. Well, let's look at the same thing with rapid spanning tree. When you connect an MSTP switch, just say span and connect it to an existing 802.1W environment, the common spanning tree is your tree, and show span will give you the details. Show span also shows you some internal spanning tree or instant zero information that doesn't matter in this situation. And your path costs are just what you'd expect. Same path costs with multiple and rapid spanning tree and rapid reconvergence behavior, just exactly what a person would want. In this example, <laughs> already highlighted, I created the tree out of 5300s and the top 5304, I set the priority equal to one, but because rapid spanning tree uses the step values, uh, it comes out as 4096. The middle 5300 has rapid spanning tree enabled with all the default settings, and the 4200 VL at the bottom has multiple spanning tree enabled with all of its default settings. And over on the left, you can see show span again gives you the default VLAN is the only internal spanning tree, which doesn't matter because it's the common spanning tree that we care about. And all these values, you can see the root MAC address, the priority, there's the 4096. The cost adds up perfectly, and the root port. So with these two simple examples, I, I know I was quite nervous when I heard that this device was only going to have multiple spanning tree. And I thought, well, what happens when you connect to an existing 802.1D? Having done that, I am not the least bit worried about it. It works beautifully. And what I hope is that these examples show you where to look for the common spanning tree and what to expect to see. Are there any questions now on the multiple spanning tree protocol? If you would like to ask a question, press star 1. There are no questions at the time. guess everybody wants to get done early, but no problem. We will turn to the troubleshooting section. Before I begin, I need to give my disclaimer. Uh, for those folks on the line who may be from the network support center or the customer care centers, uh, procure competency centers. None of this is going to be too dramatic. You probably know all of this. And uh, most of it is things that I've done for years and years and years. And one of those is use the event log. I have said this for many years. The single most useful troubleshooting tool in any of the Procurve switches is the event log, particularly the dynamic event log where you see a new event show up right in front of your eyes as you watch. But you have to get to that through the menu. Uh, here's the path to get there. And when you press E, you go to the end of the log, and then you can move upward. So I've often joked that I wish I had a macro every single time I logged onto a Procurve switch. I want it to go menu 4 E because I want to see what just happened. When you do that, you might see that nothing's happened, that the last event in this event log was two weeks ago when you logged into it. Or you might see something happening before your eyes, excessive late collisions, excessive broadcast, something perhaps on the very port that you're going in to investigate. The thousand lines of event log are flushed if you pull out the power cord. So if you're standing in front of the switch and you don't have console access and you need to reboot it, use the reset button on the front and the event log will be preserved. Or if you're logged into the switch, you can reboot from the user interface and again the event log will be preserved and then the log minus A command uh, will get you everything from before and after reboots. Very, very valuable for troubleshooting. What happened right before the switch rebooted? 
the command at the bottom shows you how you can copy that log minus a, the entire thousand line event log, to a file on a TFTP server. Other useful troubleshooting tools, again, dynamic. Dynamic counters, you got to go through the menu, and the show system screen through the menu, which tells you about the CPU utilization, memory use, and packet buffer use. Although packet buffers, I want to point out, it's also in the speaker notes, that it states these are not packet buffers on the ports of the switch. This is internal for communication to the switch, for Telnet, SNMP, uh, just something that the question has come up many, many times before. Here's how to get to your dynamic counters. And one flaw with this is if you have 192 ports on the switch and you're arrowing down to the 190th port, you're going to wear out your arrow key after a few years. Uh, we've had several suggestions on how to make it uh, easier to get way down to a lower. Excellent suggestions that um, we're really hoping some or all of them get implemented soon. Nonetheless, once you get down to that switch uh, port and look at the show details screen, you see the counters moving in front of your eyes. Tremendously useful for troubleshooting. And here's kind of an obvious thing. Um, if you're looking at a port that has some problems or it's a port of interest for some reason, but don't forget to check what's connected to that port. If it's another switch, get on that other switch and see what its event log and counters show. Now, to find the other switch, uh, LLDP will pick up CDP data and LLDP data from its neighbors, and it can help find neighbors with this command, show LLDP info remote-device, and you can specify the port. But I do want to give you a caution, because if there are intermediate devices that don't do CDP or LLDP uh, and pass those packets through, what you're seeing defined as your immediate neighbor might be several switches away just something to be aware of. There's really no way around that. It's a big problem for network discovery uh, and for troubleshooting. Looking at the static counters, uh, for example, interface 4, um, you see a nice snapshot. And this is a very clean display. There hadn't been too much going on, not too much traffic going through my switch. There are no receive errors. There are no transmit errors. Nice, clean port. Uh, this display from the command line interface can actually be very useful for troubleshooting if you're going to capture the output because you can issue this display over and over again and watch the numbers grow. Or you can do the repeat, the REP command, so that it will automatically show itself over and over and over again. Or you can use the dynamic counters. These, uh, again, arrowing down to port 4 is not going to be a huge problem. <laughs> port 192 might be. But here you watch these counters increment as you in front of your eyes. Every three seconds, the counters increment. You have a time display in the upper right to show you your date and time. And for the counters, down on the actions line, you can press reset to clear all the counters back to zero for this particular Telnet or console session. Now, the SNMP spec does not allow you to completely reset the counters back to zero. If you exit the Telnet session and come back in, you'll see the full counter values reinstated. But it's just wonderful to clean off the screen, especially if you have errors, say, in the receive area. You want to wipe them back to zero and see if any happen right now. Very, very, very useful. And the log commands. Have I mentioned how much I like the event log? Okay. Uh, we have all sorts of ways to peruse the event log and see what happened. The find, fix, inform messages, excessive broadcasts, excessive... CRC alignment errors, excessive late collisions really tell you what's going on. And if you use the help screen out of the menu log, uh, you will find exactly what each of those are. It tells what they are, what the switch was seeing, the possible causes, and actions to resolve the problem. You can log all the system messages, the chassis messages. If you have a port of interest, you can log every command, I'm sorry, every event in the event log that has port space D9 in it by simply enclosing that in quotes. You can use single quotes or double quotes. Uh, must be the same on either side of your uh, item that you want to delimit. And it's not case sensitive, so you can use a lowercase D9. Works beautifully well. We talked about the log minus A command, how it gives everything before and after the reboot. And you can combine these commands, everything in the event log, through reboots on port D9. Here I've deliberately put a lowercase D to show that it does work well. Now, down in the speaker notes, once again, this takeaway is intended for you to have all sorts of information, and I try not to say too many things other than what's in here. 
there are hints. Other log commands like log stp, log, quote, slot a, log snmp, whatever you might happen to do. And another hint is issue the show time command, because when you're looking through the event log, you have a timestamp, and it may or may not be real, but it doesn't matter. It's compared to what time the switch thinks it is that's important. So do a show time to see what the switch thinks is happening right now, what time it is, and that can orient you. Um, be a little bit cautious because the time might have changed. Perhaps they didn't have an SNTP server set up and the time was in even in the future and then changed to a server and the time reverts back to correct time. Quite often you just need to dump the entire event log and scroll through it. I like to pull it into a file. You could do it online either way, but you see where those time changes happen and, and they don't confuse you. And also a hint in the speaker notes, don't forget to talk to the user. Very recently, we had a gigabit server connected by fiber to one of these switches. Uh, it was a part of a, a service guard pair, and it was the backup. So the administrator didn't notice for a couple of days that his backup was offline and came to let us know, hey, my, my server's offline. Well, he went over to the, the server room and followed the cable and found that we're plugged into the 4200BL in the mini-GBIC port. There was an extra mini-GBIC port open, with a with a mini GBIC transceiver in there, and so he moved. He unplugged from port A1 and moved it over to port A4. And we looked at the event log, and we saw A1 go offline. We saw A4 come on, off, on, as it tends to do when something boots up or comes on. And we thought everything was great. And we called the user. Says, "Looks good. Looks like you found a bad port." He says, "No, I still don't have link at my NIC." And what it turned out was a bad patch cord, a brand new fiber patch cord right out of the box. One fiber was bad. So even though the switch perspective, everything may look good, be sure to talk to the user. You can see that so much of this is just common sense that I'm sure everybody does all the time, but it's worth reviewing. For spanning tree, uh, two very good commands. The show span config gives you an output that looks very much like the old menu output. And it tells you a couple things that you don't find elsewhere, the edge port configuration and the point-to-point -point configuration. I know that edge port being no by default is unfortunate. That is unfortunately the way they chose to do it for multiple spanning tree protocol. We've heard a lot about that being a bad decision. Uh, I wish they hadn't done it that way, but be aware that edge port is no by default and if you want to go in and configure all the ports to have them edge port and then change the two or one or three to uplink uh, to be no edge, you can do that reasonably quickly by using the all command. You say interface all, and then you make them edge port. But it, it's just a shame that this wasn't yes by default. Enough said about that. When you show the MST config, show span MST config, you see the Multiple spanning tree configuration name is the switch's MAC address by default. And the revision number, when multiple spanning tree is enabled, just say span but no regions configured, the revision number defaults to zero. And this configuration digest is an encoded list of all the VLAN to instance mapping, which in this case there is none. And we see that here. Once again, IST mapped VLANs doesn't say it's one VLAN. That's saying it's VLAN number one. And for the instances in the map VLANs, what looks like I ran out of paper is actually a blank line there. And I did run out of paper, or I would have shown that the prompt came back right after that. Down in the speaker notes, there are a couple of hints. Uh, we also have all of the show span options, show span detail, show span instance. And that's one of the hints. Show span instance IST will also give you the port role, whether it's the root port, an alternate port, designated, backup, disabled. Very useful information. Even if you have not configured instances, this is a case where your show span instance IST will give you good information. If you have configured instances, you use show span instance and then the instance number. And once again, I have uh, asked the lab to allow us to use instance zero. Unfortunately, right now, you can only say IST. You can't enter a zero. Uh, they're equivalent, and I'm hoping that uh, we just get that additional flexibility in the command in the future. Then we get the king of all commands, show tech. Show tech issues 42 different commands shown right here. And these are great hints. You can issue these individually uh, when you're looking for various things. 
what I've pointed out is because we have the hybrid chassis with what it considers three internal slots, Showtech is smart enough to look at the switch engine and see any crash information, and also the three banks of fixed ports and see if they have any crash information. There is another command, show tech all, which I guess is the mother of the king of command, troubleshooting commands. This adds buffer dumps, memory information. When I tried it and then pasted the output into Microsoft Word, it was almost 100 pages long. Far more information than the average troubleshooter would need, but wonderful when the lab needs to find out something. And Will pointed out a command that's part of show tech all that's very useful, also in the speaker notes, show tech stat, S-T-A-T gives the number of transitions for each port. A transition is when the port goes online or offline. You can, in a very compact display, you can see all the ports on the switch, and if one or more ports have a huge number of transitions, that really jumps out at you as something's wrong with that port. Now, there's a command missing here, show version, although the information from show version is contained in the first two commands, show system and show flash, I really like show version, and here's an example of why. When we look at show flash, we see that L.10.xx software is loaded in primary flash, and we booted from primary. Just looking at that, you would assume the switch is running L.10.xx. It has to be, right? That's what's in primary, and that's what we booted from, but show version reveals the truth. We are actually running L1001. How did this happen? Well, I contrived this, but it's perfectly reasonable. You boot up on one thing, you load a new image into primary, and you haven't yet rebooted, and that's exactly the case here. So do show version to make sure you know exactly what you're running at that moment and where you're running it from. Event log, once again, on boot up, always look at the event log. Now, this is from L.10.01, so when you load L.10.02, this funny command, or this funny entry is no longer that's good. CDP is indeed enabled and receive only, and LLDP is enabled. And look how the banks of fixed ports are treated on boot up. They're treated almost as if they were individual modules, and the lab wanted to do that for future troubleshooting. If there ever was a problem with one of those banks of fixed ports, it would come out very clearly in the event log, save a lot of effort in troubleshooting. So I think that's a good idea. It looks a little unusual to separate the ports into three groups, but makes good sense. So this is the troubleshooting section, and I, I hope we have some questions or haven't put everybody to sleep. If there are any questions, please press star 1 to request an open line from the operator. There are no questions at this time. Okay, well, the final section is very, very short, and you get one more chance for questions after that. We have additional information. Again, I've tried to provide a mini table of contents here showing what that is. The cooling system, this top item is often asked in a RFP, where does the airflow go? And the fans are on, mounted on the left side of the chassis, as shown in the pictures down below, and they really suck air through the chassis, fresh air from the far side through the chassis and blow it out the left. They are not field replaceable. The chassis does have to be replaced if the fan fails one of these fans, but they're high quality and they are expected to last long term. And I've provided pictures just for the three unit high chassis, you can see two large fans, and for the five rack unit chassis, four slightly smaller fans. So that's something you can refer to. There's an auxiliary port that um, is covered up and is not usable at this point. And it's covered with a translucent label, which I think was a fabulous invention by my colleague Ed Carrada, that allows the user to see what's underneath there without having to peel off the protective label. And on top, it informs people that you know future software is gonna is gonna have some use for this port. Uh, we've gotten a lot of uh, conversation about you know what do you do in putting a USB like USB form factor port and you don't have a way to use it. And what I've come to realize is it's a great example of long-term thinking. There are many, many possible uses for this port. At this point, while we're figuring out what we're going to do on each individual switch, we are putting switches out into the user's hands that already have the port available. So I do think that's long-term thinking and will have some great uses in the near future. The field replaceable units, pretty simple, four styles of chassis, four styles of module, BL modules, the power supply that's shared between the three 
sets of product families, the GL, XL, VL, and the version B or later mini GBIX with the part numbers here. Once again, I have in the speaker notes that be aware that there are a very small number of Model A mini GBIX that will work in this switch, and that's fine. That means they, the only way that could happen is if they have the anti-counterfeiting algorithm, and that proves to us they are genuine Procurve mini GBIX. Finally, warranty and services for the 4200BL are really all the same as the 4100GL. Lifetime warranty as long as you own the product, all the different services available, and Korea, last I heard, is still pending. Um, it, you know, as soon as they get all the regulatory information through, we will uh, support this product in every country where Procurve equipment is sold. So we have looked at marketing information with the product positioning and usage models and a huge feature set. We looked at the different hardware, the VL modules and the version D Mini GBIX, the software defaults with LACP disabled and the default spanning tree is MSTP. Other software items that CDP is now receive only and you use HP trunks, not fast ether channel. And I should probably have added that LLDP is enabled by default here. There's some new LED behavior. The known issues are already resolved. Two of them are, this one especially, is resolved in L.10.02. And while the switches that are shipping as of, I believe still today, are being produced with L.10.02, within a day or so, I said it backwards, they're currently shipping with L.10.01, but within a day or two, they should begin producing switches with L.10.02 already installed. As always, when you get your switch, please go out to the Procurve website, take a look at the software, and the latest version of software is really your best bet for all of our products. We work very hard to only put out software that we would want our customers to have and they would want to have. We looked at multiple spanning tree protocol in gross detail, and I'm hoping those two examples will let you know what to expect if you just say span and don't configure regions and connect to the older STP or RSTP protocol. Troubleshooting with, I hope, a lot of helpful ideas, many of which you probably already know, and some short additional information. Are there any questions over any of this? If you would like to ask a question at this time, please press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. There are no questions. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for attending, and I wish you the best success with the Procurve Series 4200 BL switches in your environments and your customers.